um, that God's pursuit is transforming. To kind of wrap it all up. God saves us to transform us. And that's kind of the main, the main point uh, today. Is that God saves us to transform us. And so the last two days we've been in the Old Testament. Uh, today we're going to be in the New Testament in Ephesians 2. The book of Ephesians is one of my favorite books. Uh, especially Ephesians 2. Uh, it's a beautiful, a beautiful passage. So we'll be... Um, reading Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. Uh, But before we do that, I'll pray for us and then we can begin. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, every girl in this room, uh, how you have created them, that they are fearfully and wonderfully made. Lord God, right now I ask um, for your help, um, that you would help us to stay focused, that you would help us to... Um, help us by your spirit to to learn your word to know your word to understand your word Lord um, thank you again for just how you pursue us Um, Lord I pray that you would be the one to teach us in Jesus name amen y'all come in no you're good you're good come on in I started a little bit earlier Alright, so Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. But before we go there, transformation. What do you think of when you hear the word transformation? Yes. Moving from one place to another, yeah. What else? Yes, butterflies. Change. Change, yes. Change. What else? Difference? Do you say different? Yeah, yeah. Back, I don't know if, actually, I don't think Instagram does this anymore, but uh, a few years ago they did the Transformation Tuesday where people would put like a before picture and an after picture. Do y'all. You all remember that or no? A little too young for that? Oh, anyway. But they used to do like hashtag Transformation Tuesday. That's what I think of when I think of transformation. Uh, Okay. Anything else? Transformation? You all made excellent points about there's a change that happens. Uh, So Ephesians 2, if if you're already there... um, I think this is a passage that deals deals with this, talks about it, what it means to be transformed. So Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, I need two volunteers, one person to read 1 through 5, and then another person to read 6 through 10. So right there, 1 through 5, um, and then someone on this side, Karis, uh, 6 through 10. So read it loudly so everyone in the room can hear it. Um, is everyone there? Everyone, jelly beans? Okay. Uh, So Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. All right, this is God's word. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and you are a violation of the 
leadership of His Grace and kindness towards us to be His person. For by grace He has been saved through faith. It is thine throne and woman. It is the gift of God. Never result of words so that no that no one may boast. For you are the fourth nation, created in Jesus Christ to give words to God, which God prepared for me and that we should walk in Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so C.S. Lewis, author of Chronicles and Narnia, he has uh, Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Has anyone read it? Okay. A few of you. Oh, wow. Um, so Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Um, you remember the, the rotten boy, the dragon boy, Eustace? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So... Eustace, he comes across a large fortune and he begins to consider and think about the comforts and joy of this large fortune, right? And he has this gold bracelet on his arm and what begins to happen is that Eustace becomes a dragon, right? And so the gold bracelet on his arm now is constricting his dragon leg and it's this piercing pain and what's worse is not only this pain from the bracelet but also the fact that he's cut off from humanity and he's isolated and alone. And what happens is that he begins to cry. And who comes to him? Aslan, right? Aslan, well, yeah, Aslan comes to him in compassion, in grace, in mercy. And Aslan takes this boy, well, not a boy, the dragon, to the mountaintop, to a garden at near well. And Aslan says, you are going to have to let me undress you first. But after a moment of confusion, the dragon boy remembers that he has skin like a snake, which peels off. So he takes his claws and he starts digging at his skin. And he, he gets one layer off, and he realizes that there's another layer, so he tries to rip that off as well, and then there's another layer. layer and then after that, he's like, all right, this is vain. Like, I can't clean myself up. I can't get, like, I can't get this nasty skin off. I can't fix this. And so... What happens is that Aslan again says, you will have to let me undress you. And so this is what Eustace says that he felt. He says, the very first tear that he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And he began pulling the skin off and it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought that I had done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever much thicker and darker. And there was I, as smooth and smaller than I had been, then Aslan caught hold of me, but I didn't like that very much, for I was very tender underneath, now that I had no skin on. 
and he threw me into the water. And after that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone away from my arm. And then I saw why. I had turned into a boy again. After a while, the lion took me out and dressed me in new clothes. That's transformation, my friends. That's what happens when the gospel gets deep into our hearts and changes us and transforms us. That God saves us to transform us. We who were once dead are now made alive because of Jesus. So up here I have a before and after. The Apostle Paul is not shy to tell us what our condition is before having a relationship with Jesus. He, he lays it out real, real plain for us to understand in verses 1 through 3 what we are before Christ, before being saved. And if you look at verses 1 through 3, what does Paul say that we are before Christ? Dead, yeah, he says we're dead. What else does he say? Verses one through three. I lost my spot. Yeah, disobedience, yeah. We're disobedient. Wait, what was that? Yeah, yes. Sinful. Um, following the ways of the world. Yeah. basically says obeying the devil that we're doomed this whole time um, in this class we you know we started out in Genesis 3 right how that we're all sinful that we all run from God because of sin and how sin affects everything It affects how we relate to God. It affects how we relate to ourselves. It affects how we relate to other people. And and then we talked about how we need to be saved, right? We need a Savior. We need to be rescued. And so let's kind of just take a few of these to kind of just elaborate on them. So Paul says that we're dead. The Bible tells us that the wages of sin is what? Is death, right? In Genesis 3, we see that with Adam and Eve, sin and death enter into the world. And what happens is not only a physical death, but a spiritual death, right? And what that means is that it is our very nature to sin. That we're dead to righteousness, we're dead to holiness, we're dead to, to obedience, that our hearts, because of sin, don't naturally pursue God or desire God, right? And so we need saving. But better yet, we need a Savior. 
And then Paul goes on to say, well, we're disobedient too. And we saw that in Genesis 3 where Adam and Eve disobey God. They do the very thing that God told them not to do. And Paul continues to say that we follow the ways of the world. We and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is Satan. And we're following our sinful desires and thoughts. If this is making you uneasy, or a little uncomfortable, good. Because I think we can get so comfortable with sin that sometimes it doesn't really bother us. Or, I mean... I think what can happen is sometimes we don't see sin as a really like a big deal at all. And the truth is that sin is a big deal. And it deserves God's judgment. And the thing is is that we need to feel our need for a savior. You'll never think you need a savior if if you think you really aren't that bad. Like, that's just the reality of it. If you think, oh, I'm just really not that bad, right? Like, and what we do is we look at other people who are, like, worse than us, and it's like, well, I will compare myself to that person. It's like, well, I haven't done that, so, like, I'm pretty good, right? Like, but the reality is, is that, no, we really are that bad. And we need to feel the weight of that. And I think Paul is like, no, like, this is the reality of it. And then he says we're doomed. Like God, God doesn't sweep sin under the rug. But He deals with it. And sin is a big deal to God. He takes it seriously. So much so that it deserves His judgment. And here's the thing is that God is right to judge our sin because He's holy. God hates what sin does to us. And here's the thing, here's the good news is that for the good news is that God's wrath is poured out not on us, but on Jesus. And so what Paul is doing here is is he's before he gets to the good news, he has to tell us the bad news. Because we have to understand just how bad how bad the situation is. And our need, our desperate need. And here's the beautiful thing. Tim Keller says this in one of his sermons. He says, Jesus drank the cup of wrath so we could drink the cup of grace. Two two of the, I think it's in verse 4, but two, or this phrase, is, is I think is the sweetest, most beautiful phrase, phrases in, like ever. But God. In verse 4, like Paul lays out, okay, this is what you are. This is what you once were. But God. God does something about it. God comes to our rescue. And the light of the gospel, the light of the good news of Christ, shines in the darkness of our world, but also in the darkness of our own hearts. That evil is not just something out there, but it's something inside of us as well. And and God, look how Paul describes it. He says, he in verses four through seven, he describes the, the goodness of God. He says he's rich in mercy. He has loved us 
with a great love. His grace is amazing. And He has lavished the infinite riches of His grace to us. Do you think of God this way? I was telling the first class that one of my one of my best friends in college, um, she it was it was just interesting how you know last night John was talking about you know his friend who who moved closer to him on the couch after he was he shared his his struggles with his friend like that's what this friend of mine is like. Um, she's a friend that I I can call up when I'm crying and she knows like why I'm crying because she knows my story and she has handled my story with grace and care and compassion and I remember having a conversation with her and I was I was over at her house and um, I was crying and I was doubting God's grace I was doubting his goodness and I just kept saying over and over again, ugly crying, like, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. There's no way God can love me. There's just no way. Like, His grace is for other people, but for me, like, no, 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 no. And I was just, like, just losing it. And she moves closer, and she's like, I love you. But more than that, like, Jesus loves you more. And some of you in this room may feel like you're a waste of God's time. Or some of you in this room may think like, oh man, if people only knew what I've done or the thoughts that I have, like, oh, there's no way God could love me. There's no way like His grace is for me. Some of you have probably had those thoughts and some of you may be like, yeah, that's me. And if that's you, like, I can so relate to that. But God. That's the sweetest, but God. Here's the thing. Is that God is not surprised by your mess. God is in the business of restoring and transforming what's broken in your life. And what's broken inside of you. And here's the thing that I want you all to remember is that no one is beyond the reach of God's transforming grace. You are not beyond the reach of God's transforming grace. And also another thing is that you are are not beyond the need of God's transforming grace. Paul David Tripp says, you know, as Christians, we don't become grace graduates. Like, yeah, I've arrived. I totally understand all of this. Like, I've graduated from grace. I don't need it. Or like, we we don't graduate from the gospel. You know, I think sometimes we can think, oh, well, the gospel is for the non-Christian. But i got my stuff to get. It's like, no, like, we need the good news all the time. Just as much. Like, we don't graduate from that. And that's the thing is that that God's grace will find you. And you're... Like, Paul wrote this. And we talked about, about Paul a little bit. How Saul became Paul. Like, like, God's grace can reach you. And here's what we find is that God's pursuit is transforming. Do I have any people who like Fixer Upper in this room? 
Okay. Okay, I have some things. Um, not like I created the show. But, um, all right, Fixer Upper. Like, I can binge watch that show for hours, right? It is it is awesome. It's like genius. They take, you know, they take the, the worst house in the best neighborhood and they completely sometimes like just gut it and at the end it becomes like this beautiful like shiplap paradise where these white clean walls and it's, it's just beautiful the transformation and the renovation that happens and I was thinking about and just even thinking about that show but also like when we watch a movie or we read a book we all like the stories that have a redemptive ending, right? Um, I was watching a movie, I don't remember what it was, and it gets to the end and there's like no redemption at all. It's just like, well that was, that was awful. Like where's the redemption in this, in this movie? But the thing is, is that I, deep down inside, I think why we like shows like that and we like movies that have a redemptive ending and we like the hero saving the day is because deep down inside I think we all long for restoration. We all long for transformation and for our world to be made right and for our lives, the things that are broken in our lives to be restored whether that's friendships or family or just sins that we're struggling with. And here's the thing is that God's pursuit is transforming. That God takes what is dead and He brings it to life. There's this, um, in Ezekiel 36, um, there is... So anyway, Ezekiel is a prophet of God. And during that time, God's people were in exile in Babylon. And God's people had lost hope. They were kind of looking at their lives and the mess of their lives. And they were doubting. They had doubts of like, has God given up on us? Is He just? Is He good? Right? Like, we've probably asked those same questions. And they were asking these questions. They were doubting. And what God does is He answers their, their doubts with a promise that He makes in Ezekiel 36, um, verses 25 through 27. You can look that up later on. But then it, in, in Ezekiel 37, there's this really cool thing that happens. Ezekiel, God takes Ezekiel to a valley. And this valley has dead, dry bones. And God asks Ezekiel, he's like, Ezekiel, can these bones live? Now, if you were looking at some dead bones, you'd probably be like, no way. Right? Like, wouldn't you be like, uh, no, they're dead. They can't live. But it says, in faith, Ezekiel said, of course, like, you know, Lord. So God tells Ezekiel, he's like, preach to the dry bones. Ezekiel's like, alright. So he begins to preach to the dry bones. And what begins to happen is that the bones start linking up together and they form skeletons. Now imagine being in this valley and you start seeing that. Like the bones just start start linking up and all of a sudden you see these skeletons and you're like, 
okay, this is a horror movie. Um, and so there's this valley of skeletons now. And then he, Ezekiel continues to preach. And then skin and muscles start to cover the skeletons. And then God breathes life into what was dead. And, the, and it says that it, they become an army of God. That's power. God has if God can do that, right? Like he has the power to take what's dead and dried up in your life and make it alive. He breathes his life into us. We are all before Christ, we're all spiritually dead, but what God does is he breathes life into us and we become alive. And God has the power to do it. So often I'm like Oh yeah, okay. But does he have the power to do that in my own life? It's like, yes! He is God. If he has the power to do that, like, yeah, he can make dead things come to life. I think also what we see here is that it is God's work. And it's a gift. What do you do when you get a gift? Yeah, you say thank you, you receive it, you open it. If someone gives you a gift, you're not going to be like, oh, yeah, no, thank you. i like, bye, I don't want it. Like, you're going to open it, you're going to receive it with joy and gladness. And, like, what God does is he gives us a gift. Um, in Ephesians it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. The response to God's goodness is faith. It's belief. It's believing in and receiving the gift that He has given us, which is Jesus. He says, here's this gift. Salvation is a gift and it's free. But it's not cheap. It costs us nothing. But it costs Jesus everything. And God says it's yours. And here's the thing, bless you. Here's the thing. As Christians, we aren't saved because we're prettier than somebody else. We're smarter or like we had our act together. We're saved because like, it's all God's doing. And it's all because of Jesus. And that our salvation is a work of God. That God is the one who sent Jesus to take our place. And He has given us the faith to believe in Him. And the best part of this is that God graciously gives us His Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us. And the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same Spirit that lives inside Christians. That we have access to that power. The Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit begins to do is work in your heart, giving us new desires, giving us new passions and new loves, so that 
what begins to happen is that the God we once didn't trust in and didn't love and didn't desire what begins to happen is that we actually are able to enjoy God we're actually able to desire God and love Him because of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we are in have the power, we, we're empowered by the Holy Spirit to pursue God and pursue the things of God and to set our mind on things that are above. So, this is the before. What's the after? After, the, yeah. Life. Life. Yeah. What? Rich in mercy. Yeah. God. What else? Someone over here. Sophia. What? Pure. Pure. Yeah. Okay. I'll go. I'll like switch sides. Yes. Joy. Joy. And then behind. Yep. Righteousness. Righteousness. Yeah. Right? I'll go over here. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. Probably spelled that wrong, whatever. Obedience. Obedience. Yes. Yes, good. Worship. Restore, yeah. And then I would also say repentance too, right? I love I love what John said last night about repentance, about how it is a turning. It's a turning away from your sin, but it's turning to who? God, right? It's turning to Jesus. It's not just, oh, I'm going to turn to good works. Or It's turning to Jesus who empowers, who offers grace to us, to empower us to live this transformed life. That we have the power to live a transformed life because we're connected to the power of God. We're connected to God by faith. Um, I'll, so yeah, that's God's pursuing you. Whether you realize it or not. And it's redemptive. It's active. He's always at work. And it's transforming. That God's pursuit changes you is changing you and it will forever change you let me pray for us dear Heavenly Father we thank you so much for Jesus we thank you for the saving work that you have accomplished in Christ to draw us close to you to call us your children to adopt us into your family where we can now um, cry out, Abba, Father, um, that we can call you Daddy. And we thank you so much for that. Lord, I thank you for these girls. Um, Lord, I I pray for them um, as they travel home tomorrow. um, You would keep them safe. that, um, That they would be reminded of your goodness, of your grace. That they would be reminded of this week. 
that you would draw close to them. In Jesus' name, amen.